Welcome to this video Bible class. We are in the book of Titus, and this is our final video. I remind you, this is from God through Paul to Titus the evangelist, who was working in a difficult place on the island of Crete. And this is for our learning and application today. I'm going to start by reading Titus 3, 8 through 11, and we'll cover that section. And then after that, I'll cover the rest of the verses after verse 11 to complete our study of Titus. Titus 3, 8 through 11. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I have a lot of material to cover in this final class in Titus, and so there will be times where I will take a break and you'll probably just see a stop in the video and then it will resume. But that's a break for me during this rather lengthy study of Titus 3 from verse 8 to the end of the book of Titus. Now we begin with a familiar expression that we may remember from First and Second Timothy. The saying is faithful. The saying is trustworthy. Now, we are people who trust all of Scripture to have divine integrity. As we studied some time ago in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. But in writing and speaking, sometimes you want to press a point. You want to highlight something. A speaker may say something like, you can count on this. A writer may begin a paragraph by saying, here's the main thing. That's what Paul does. And his introductory phrase carries the idea of a fundamental truth worthy of confidence and at the core of what we believe about God and his word. Paul is telling Titus, I want you to insist on these things. These things are absolutely trustworthy, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. <coughs> Everything in the Bible is true. Here is something fundamental worthy of being repeated over and over. Back in verse 1 of this chapter, Christians are to be ready for every good work. By God's mercy, we can be washed and sanctified and trained in righteousness and heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 
These truths in this context need to be highlighted and repeated. Not just what's in verse 8, but the surrounding context. Paul is emphasizing how confident we can be of this assured truth from God so that Christians in Crete and everywhere know God is trustworthy. He is faithful. He expects us to be careful to devote ourselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And this goes to something we talk about all the time, practical application. This is about the people of God doing the will of God with daily devotion. And don't miss the phrase at the end of verse 8, these things are excellent and profitable for people. <clears throat> but on the contrary, but on the contrary, you see that in verse 9? Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Have you ever heard someone assert as if it were universal truth? Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. Often when you hear that, the context and the tone of that is promoting a vague and relaxed view where it is all grace, little faith, no works, no rules, nothing really to take individual responsibility about. The popular notion of assuming you were saved by grace without much of a response on your part. So you may hear sometimes a hypercritical, self-satisfied view that demeans the idea of do's and don'ts. But when you open the Bible and you come to statements like this in Titus 3, 8 and 9, there are things to do and things to carefully avoid. So Christians are to devote themselves to good works but also avoid bad works. So let's look through this list that begins at verse 9. These are things to avoid. Don't get involved in these things. Foolish controversies. Not all discussion of difference or all debate, but those controversies which have no spiritual value. Don't get involved. Reserve controversy for those things that are matters of faith, and only then by a good use of Scripture and attitude. It is our responsibility to apply that kind of discernment before we jump into controversy. And even when controversy is necessary, it must be executed with good attitude, avoiding self-righteousness or carnal tactics. Foolish controversies tear people and churches apart and grieve God. In this list is something that may seem strange to us today in our culture, genealogies. 
And this is not about the study of your family history, nothing wrong with that. There were Jewish teachers who engaged in fierce battles to establish and then boast about their pedigree, their blood connection to someone, claiming spiritual advantage or status by virtue of some genealogical pathway. All that becomes irrelevant in Christ. Genealogy was important under the Mosaic Covenant, for instance, in establishing who was qualified to serve as priest. Under the New Covenant, there is absolutely no spiritual value in tracking genealogy and making a big deal of that. In terms of medical information and family interest, genealogy has a place, but it has no place in terms of your relationship with God. Dissensions, not just arguing, not just useless controversy. Now there is dividing, choosing sides, rival groups who fight each other. Paul puts that on the list of don'ts. Quarrels about the law. Scribes and Pharisees made a game of this, a pastime. They would spend hours and hours arguing about some detail, some incidental, while often avoiding the plain principles of God's law. I will say again, only through a good use of Scripture can we discern what kinds of discussions need our attention. About these things in this list, Paul says to Titus and to us, these things are unprofitable and worthless. So people who have become, by the activity of their faith, recipients of grace should, on the positive side, be devoted to good works. On the negative side, avoid what is unprofitable and worthless. Next, verses 10 and 11. As for the person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. Notice first, Paul brings up a specific kind of person, a person who stirs up division, a person who stirs up division. That's in verse 10. This isn't just someone with a viewpoint that you do not share or that we do not share. This isn't a person who may be wrong about something but holds it to himself, doesn't cause any trouble. This is a person who advances his position to the level of division. Paul is very specific about this, a person who stirs up division. Reject a divisive man. The uh, contemporary English version, version calls this man a troublemaker. Paul says to Titus about this specific kind of person, two warnings and they are out. 
That sounds incorrect or impolite to our modern culture, but this is God's word. I'm just reading this now, verses 10 and 11. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, we apply great patience to people who are not divisive, who are learning, coming to the knowledge of the truth, perhaps stumbling along the way in their concepts. This kind of person gets two strikes, and they are out. In the New King James, reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. And then Paul explains why this is so urgent and why this may sound so drastic, but is necessary. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. When we take the action specified in verse 10, we're not condemning someone just out of hand. They have condemned themselves by their sin, by their warped attitude and approach. The Amplified Bible paraphrase has it like this. Well aware, verse 11, <clears throat> well aware that such a person has utterly changed, is perverted and corrupted. He goes on sinning, though he is convicted of guilt and self-condemned, as everywhere in the New Testament. When error and division is tolerated, it generally doesn't just go away. It must be handled promptly. Uh, that brings us to the final paragraph in the book of Titus. I'm going to read verses 12 through 15, and then I'll have some wrap-ups after we cover this final paragraph. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. And who are with me, I'm sorry, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. I want to remind us that one of the primary themes in Titus is sound doctrine, preaching and teaching only what is revealed by God through the apostles of Christ that we have in this book. At the same time, not tolerating false doctrine. In fact, we learned in Titus 1 that empty talkers and deceivers must be silenced. So, there is this tone of conviction about the truth of God. Standing firm there, 
aware that there are deceivers and some who turn away from the truth. But it is not cold intellectual militants or rivalry. It is about people hearing and doing exactly what God has revealed. Without supplements or edits or additions of men, let me say that again with emphasis on part of that, it is about people hearing and doing exactly what God has revealed without supplements or edits or additions of men. The gospel is all about God saving people. It is about people hearing, believing, and obeying the gospel to be saved by Christ as caused by the grace of God. So throughout the New Testament, there are these long sections of text about sound doctrine as opposed to false doctrine. And this is about people hearing and obeying God's truth and avoiding what isn't God's truth. Here's another opportunity to see how it's all about people. Paul is writing to Titus in this final paragraph, mentioning four people. Paul was not a cold, impersonal advocate of sound doctrine. He was an advocate for sound doctrine because it is only through sound doctrine that people can be redeemed out of sin and brought into fellowship with God. That's apparent in these passages where Paul's heart is directed to specific people who were loved by Paul and were useful servants in the kingdom, Artemis, Tychicus, Zenos, and Apollos. My point is, it was never just about getting the doctrine right. It was about getting the doctrine right so people would hear and know the truth and become faithful servants of God through Christ. So let's start with Artemis. He is not elsewhere mentioned in the New Testament. We have no biographical sketch. We can assume from this he was a Christian close to Paul, and Paul is urging Titus to receive this good man. Paul's head was not in the theological clouds. His feet were firmly planted on earth where he dealt with real people, loved people, wanted the best for people, and was not hesitant to ask Titus to receive these good men. Tychicus is mentioned previously in 1 Timothy 4.12. Paul had earlier sent him to Ephesus. Now Tychicus is sent to Crete. And it sounds like these men are to replace Titus, at least one of them. Listen to verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. I need to explain something. If we put these three books in chronological order, Titus would be after 1 Timothy and before 2 Timothy. See, in 2 Timothy, Paul is near execution in Rome. Apparently, during a winter before that, he was able to stay at Nicopolis. He wanted Titus to do his best to meet him there he would send to Crete Artemis or 
Tychicus. And so, listen again to verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to winter there. Then it says, do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. <clears throat> the apostle Paul was strong and bold in his proclamation of truth, uh, but that doesn't mean he did not regard people. This shows Paul active in his interest in people, seeing that they were well-received and cared for. Zenos is not otherwise known from the New Testament. Perhaps he would be of some assistance to Paul before his execution. Apollos, we know from Ephesus in Corinth, as a good defender of the truth, known for his eloquence, Paul is asking Titus to show hospitality to these men. I want us to notice twice in the paragraph that expression typical of Paul that conveys the idea of personal diligence. Do your best. Everything we do in our service to God ought to be our best. Excellence diligence, care, and effort in what we do in the kingdom. Verse 14, one more practical punch. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Here's the main idea. If Christians will be consistently devoted to good works, they will be prepared to respond in times of need. The need may be spiritual, financial, emotional, personal, domestic. The way we prepare to respond to future need that others may have is to devote ourselves to good works today and with consistency. Let me connect this with something we studied earlier. You remember back in chapter two, we were talking about people who have responded to the grace of God being in training, trained in righteousness. That includes one's personal engagement in good works to be ready for whatever kinds of needs occur in the future. And I'll go ahead now and add verse 15, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. A few more minutes now. I have some wrap-ups. Preachers and teachers, when delivering God's word, must be insistent. I said, when delivering God's word, I cannot be insistent about my opinions. But when preachers and teachers are reading to people from the word of God and repeating what God said, faithfully using his word, there needs to be clarity <clears throat> and boldness about that work. Notice how often in this immediate context, good works are highlighted. Chapter 2, verse 14, zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, ready for every good work. Now in chapter 3, verse 8, devoted to good works. Here is a passage that places at the forefront 
the grace of God, but recipients of his grace are described as people who are zealous for good works. Before we express ourselves in some sort of debate, it will always be good for, for us to ask ourselves, is this vital? Is it necessary? Is it profitable? And the only way to determine if a debate or a controversy is profitable is to faithfully and carefully study God's word to arrive at that determination. And then Titus 3, 10 and 11, I'll remind us again. Let's never back away from this. A heretic, somebody creating division. First warning, second warning, and then they're out. Two strikes and you're out. Thank you for joining us through these video Bible classes. I get encouraging feedback and that helps me causes me to have greater diligence to do my best in my life and with my work, all to the glory of God. I'm not sure what I'll do next in these video classes, but you can check back with this channel or look for announcements about any future recording plans. May God bless you in all that you do that is in accord with sound doctrine.